I really like the uh, little note from Stephen Ministry on the bottom of the worship panel because it says affirmation brings out the best in people. And you probably need to hold on to that thought for the first few moments of this morning's message because I'm preaching from the book of Jeremiah and if you've read Jeremiah, you probably have at least heard bits of it. You know, it's the longest book in the Bible and most of it is very difficult reading. It's a lot of bad news for people who are in hard places. But then, like, um, like the sun bursts through on a cloudy day, there are these incredible shafts of gospel glory that burst out of the dark scene of Jeremiah's writing in his life. So you hold on to that Stephen thought about affirmation, bringing out the best in you, because we will get there, but it's going to take just a few moments for us to do that. I want to bring us into Jeremiah's world by reminding you of some pictures that come out of our world. There are pictures that have been shown with disturbing frequency in recent weeks, and we've all seen them. Pictures of bomb blasts suddenly destroying the glory of the finish line at the Boston Marathon. And then the pictures of a stumbling marathoner and a crowd suddenly dispersing. And then the grainy close-up of the face of a suspected terrorist wearing a baseball cap backward, making his way through the crowd, caught by an unsuspecting camera. Those pictures stick with us. They disturb us. They bother us. Other pictures closer to home, while not as disturbing, certainly cause a ripple in the placid surface of our lives. Drive down the streets of Elmhurst or Villa Park, where we live, or Lombard, or any of the Western communities in the last few weeks, and you will see stacks of furniture piles of carpeting, containers of soaked drywall waiting for pickup because we've learned that while there are many things in life we can control, there are other things we cannot. And if you're one of those who are digging your way out of a ruined basement or home or family room, you know that those pictures will stay with you. They'll be a part of what you remember. They have colored your moment. And then you have your own pictures, of course. Those individual, we don't share them. They are personal for us. The picture of the family room at Elmhurst Hospital where the physician said the word none of us wants to hear, terminal. Those pictures are frozen in our minds. And somehow they cast a gloom over a world we live in, at least for a time. The whole world has pictures like that, pictures from Syria, pictures from Israel, from Africa, South America. You go anywhere you want and you'll find the the kind of moments that sear themselves into our memories and remind us that life can be hard, illness can be difficult, Loss can be tragic. Pain is universal. 
Everybody hurts sooner or later in this world. And it seems to me that Jeremiah lived in a day and in a time when his pictures were particularly dark, particularly problematic. Jeremiah lived in a day of natural disasters, not the natural disasters we think of, hurricane, flood, tornado, but disasters created by human nature. He lived in a time when the problems people were facing tended to be problems of their own making. And for many of us, that's not true. You didn't make a rainfall that destroyed a basement. You didn't have a hand in the problems that led to a marathon disaster in Boston. But you know the kinds of problems that Jeremiah would have talked about. The things that are part of our lives because we have invited them into our lives. Or they are the consequence of poor choices we've made in our lives. Or they're simply life catching up with us after years of abuse or years of neglect or years of ignorance or years of not caring. Those were Jeremiah's problems. That was the world he lived in. Jeremiah says that the world he had to live in and he was called to speak to was a world in which a people called of God had no room in their community for foreigners or aliens. Look at chapter 22. He talks about a world in which orphans and widows those who were the most vulnerable in community were routinely ignored. Families didn't care. Community didn't care. No one took care of them. Jeremiah talks about a world in which people looked for religions that would give them what they wanted rather than seeking God who had called them to be his people. I think for Jeremiah, the diagnosis of the evils of the world he live in sort of hit their peak in chapter 22, I think it is. Verse 8. People from many nations will pass by Jerusalem and ask one another, why has God done this thing to this great city? Why would God let these things happen? Why does this stuff go on? Here's the answer in his day. The answer will be because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and have worshipped and served other gods. For Israel, the nation that Jeremiah was called to serve as prophet, the pattern was repeated with tiresome regularity. God called them back, they wandered away. They were satisfied for a time. They looked for something better. They needed something new. They needed something fresh. They wanted something relevant. They wanted something contemporary. They were always looking for the next thing that was better than the old thing. And finally, God said, well, that's enough. There's a point at which the relationship with God and his people is broken. The covenant has been cut by the people of God. And now comes the day when all the sins come home to roost and they are going to pay a price. And so Jeremiah lives in the day when the price paid was 
more terrible than any could have imagined. A day in which others moved into the homes they had provided for themselves. A day in which invader ate the food out of the Israeli cupboards. A day in which women were taken captives and abused. A day in which babies were murdered just because the invading armies could. Who is ready for a day like that? Who wants to live with those kind of pictures? Who's able to stand up under a world that is not of our making, and in fact, a world that none of us would want to be part of? A world in which the houses they lived in didn't belong to them. The fields they worked in, they would never profit from. The businesses they were part of, they had no ownership in. A world in which the music they listened to wasn't the music they liked. The language they learned and the language they heard wasn't the language that was native to them. Who would want to live in such a world? Isn't it just like us when we come to those moments when all we wanted all we hoped for, all we planned on, all we dreamed of is suddenly gone and we realize what has been has caught up with us and what we had hoped for is no more. It's just like us to create those moments when God says, that is enough. The affirmation you came to hear in church on a Sunday morning isn't a word about what's just like us. We know what's just like us. We know our strengths. We know our weaknesses. We know our successes. We know our failings. We know that which we have done well and that which has not yet been done by any of us. We know ourselves. We come to know more of God. And at the end of the message, in the end of this time in worship, I hope you'll be thinking with me not, isn't that just like us? I hope you'll be thinking with me, isn't that just like God? Isn't that just like God? Well, what is God like? How does he handle these things? How does he respond? For the first 27 chapters of Jeremiah, there are dark pictures, but then in chapter 30 and in chapter 31, the light breaks And it is a sunny Sunday in our world. And so I want to look with you at chapter 31 of the book of Jeremiah. And I want to look at the first 17 verses. And let me tell you what happens to me when I read the Bible. I read it so often, and I'm not, you know, that's not bragging. I guess we all read the Bible a lot, right? But I read it so often that sometimes I don't read it. You know what I mean? It's like, well, where did that come from? Well, what does that mean? What what is that about? So what what I'd like to do is read perhaps a bit more slowly and just piece by piece go through these 17 verses so that you get a better idea of what God is like. And what I'm going to do is when there's a word that I had to stop and ask myself, now what, what exactly does that mean? I will stop and share with you what I found out and you'll see whether or not you agree with me and whether or not that helps you. Is that a deal? If you say no, we're in trouble. I I think that would be a fine way for us to proceed. So that some of the things that I would just skim over, 
I just think God said, now wait a minute, not so fast. What does this mean? And then we will see together what God has to say. So if you have a a Bible in front of you, if you have your own Bible, this may be helpful for you um, to look at with me. So Jeremiah chapter 31 at verse 1, at that time declares the Lord. At what time? At the time when things are darkest. At the time when all the pictures you look at are bad. At the time when the basement's flooded. At the time when the marathon stopped. At the time when you hear the words echoing in your mind or in your ears at Elmhurst Hospital. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the clans of Israel and they will be my people. How many clans were in Israel? Twelve, right? Jeremiah wrote at a time when northern Israel had already been taken captive. In other words, most of the tribes were long gone. Only Judah was left and Jerusalem was left. But God says, there's going to come a time when I'm going to bring everybody back. I love that picture. Imagine what that meant to them. This is what the Lord says. The people who survive the sword will find favor in the desert. Really? Favor in the desert? Who wants to go to the desert? How could that happen? Only God can do that. Only God can find people in hard, dry, difficult places and bring favor. I will come and give rest to Israel. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. I will build you up again and you will be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. Virgin Israel, really, really. There are other prophecies in which Israel is far from virgin. Read Ezekiel, Ezekiel 16, a contemporary of Jeremiah's. Israel, an unfaithful, and these are the words of the Old Testament, right? Over and over again, unfaithful, adulterous, God says, virgin Israel. God sees a redeemed people with new eyes. Can you imagine what it's like to know how deep in sin we are and suddenly to be seen by God as pure? That's enough to bring a smile to your face on a Sunday morning. Virgin Israel. You will take up your tambourines. Missed that in the service this morning. Love the music. Been nice to have a tambourine in the uh, bluegrass band. Well, you'll take up your tambourines and go out to dance. Probably not here. Go out to dance with the joyful. Again, you will plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. You're going to plant vineyards. You're going to make wine. You're going to enjoy the best again in the places that are, are yours. And the farmers will plant them and enjoy their fruit because now the farmers planted and somebody else got the harvest. God says, that's not going to be the way it is. The day's coming when you'll plant, you'll harvest. It will be your fruit. There will be a day when watchmen cry out on the hills of Ephraim. Ephraim, what is Ephraim, right? Do you remember who he is? One of the sons of Joseph. Remember Joseph, right? Way back in Egypt. Joseph had sons Manasseh and Ephraim, and when God divided up the kingdom of Israel, Joseph's two sons got a share of the spoils, right? So when we read Ephraim in this passage, we're really reading a a word that covers all of God's people. All of God's people. On the hills of Ephraim, come let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Zion was the name given to the highest 
hill in the city of Jerusalem where the temple stood. Earlier than that, it had really referred to a fortress part of the ancient city. But when it says Zion here, it's like being taken back to the best place they ever knew. The place where God was, the high point, the high spot. Come, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. This is what the Lord says. Sing with joy for Jacob. Why Jacob? One person? No. Because again, Jacob here means all of Israel, all of God's people. Shout for the foremost of the nations. Make your praises heard and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. And see, I will bring them forth from the land of the north, gather them from the ends of the earth. Among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. A great throng will return. Blind, lame, pregnant women women having children, the most vulnerable, the greatest need, God says, I'm going to bring them all back. Where previously Israel had neglected these folks, God says, no, I'll bring them all back. They will come with weeping. These are tears of joy. They left weeping because they were heartbroken. They're coming back with tears of joy. Let me tell you what happens when you get older. This is uh, for those of you who are still in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. When you get older and you're happy, something happens with your tear ducts. I mean, it's strange, but I find myself when I'm happy, I've got these things rolling down my cheek. It's a little weird, a little embarrassing. You know, you kind of rub it away. But that's what it was for the Israelites. I mean, it's just, can't believe it. We're coming home again. And even the old folks have got those tears of joy running down their cheeks. They will pray as I bring them back. Imagine that prayer, right? I'll lead them beside streams of water because they were in a desert place. I'll lead them by streams of water, says God. Nothing like a walk by a beautiful stream on a level path where they will not stumble because I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my firstborn son. I care about these people, God says. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations. Proclaim it on the distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them, will watch over his flock like a shepherd. I'll scatter you, God says, for 27 chapters in Jeremiah. And now he says, I'll gather you. Genesis chapter 11, right? Tower of Babel. What happened? People said, we're going to build this tower. We'll be like God. We'll get all the way up to heaven. I mean, these dreams of something they should never have been thinking of. God said, we'll put an end to that. Confuses the language. Everybody is scattered. The community of man is scattered through the consequence of sin. Sin drives people intended to be close apart. Happens all the time. Happens everywhere. God says, I will gather. I will gather. He who scattered Israel would gather them, watch over his flock like a shepherd. For the Lord will ransom Jacob. Here four words. Ransom Jacob. Redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come. I see that as rejoicing in verse 12. Rejoicing. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. Ransomed. Redeemed. Returned. Rejoicing. That's the heart of the gathering message. Ransomed, redeemed, returned, rejoicing. Ransomed, redeemed, we know those ideas, right? 
If a person is kidnapped, it happens in parts of the world today with alarming regularity. An article in the Tribune this morning about a couple kidnapped in the Philippines by Islamic terrorists held for ransom. Ransom is the price paid for freedom. It sets you free from that which threatens to destroy you. Redemption, redeemed. God says, I ransom, I'll pay the price. God says, I will redeem. What is redeem? Well, I thought about that. It seems to me that the first time I understood what a redemption was was when we went to the S&H Green Stamp Redemption Center. Boy, does that sort of peg my age, right? See kids in the olden days, way back when? You'd go to the grocery store and buy groceries, and the grocer would not only give you a receipt, he'd give you this big block of stamps. And you'd take these stamps until you got a whole drawer full of them, and then you'd get these little books, and the family would sit around. This is what we did in our family. Family would sit around, and we'd lick these stamps and stick them in the books until you got a book full. And then you, if you got a lot of bookfuls, you could take them back to a redemption center. You could redeem them for something you wanted, like a toaster or whatever. The point was, it's the stuff you earned to get what you wanted. God said, I will pay what it takes to get you what you need. I will redeem you. He pays the ransom. He redeems We return. They will come, God says, verse 12. They will come. You'll come back. God is in the business of gathering what has been scattered, and they will rejoice. There will be a smile on the face of my people, says God. So I'm reading this stuff again. I'm thinking, well, when did it happen? Israel came back, but they didn't come back because there was a ransom paid or a redemption. They came back, read the book of Nehemiah or Ezra, read the book of the political situation and the circumstances that let people come back to the land they were taken from captive. So what is God saying? What does he have in mind? God is talking about a bigger picture and a bigger people. He's talking about the gathering of his own people through all ages who have ever been scattered through all circumstances by sin, the consequence of our own sins or sin that plagues this world. God is in the business of gathering and he ransoms through the blood of Jesus, says the Bible, and he redeems with the price of his own son's life. And he restores us to himself and each other And we come together on a Sunday morning to rejoice because of what God has done for us. Isn't that just like God to know us, to give us what we need, to make us who we deeply long to be, to provide what we could never get for ourselves? Isn't that just like God? And then comes the question, of course, so if that's just like us and just like God, and now we are a gathered people, what does all this mean for us? Well, I think that Jesus gives us the answer to that 
question when he says, he who is not with me is against me. And he says that he who is with me gathers. Matthew 12, 20. He who is with Jesus gathers. If it's true, and we as Reformed community believe it is that God is in the business of gathering a people for himself, then it is the business of that people to be a gathering people. To be a people who face a world in which there is so much scattering, so much that is broken, so much that has been lost, and say, no, there is a God who paints a different picture, who offers a greater hope, who brings what you deeply long for. There is a God who longs to gather us in his strong arms and gather us into a strength of community so that we can be what he has given his son to make us. I want to gather with Jesus. I don't want to scatter. And my guess is part of the reason you're here this morning is because, like me, deep down inside of you, you do not like a world that is fractured and broken and hurting. And you do not want to leave as your legacy a life, a family, a business, a community, a nation that is scattered and fractured and broken. You want to be the kind of person who stands in front of that world and says, you come, you come like I came. And you find the price that has been paid for your salvation. You find the redemption that has been made for you. You come back to the Father through Jesus the Son and rejoice in what he can do for you. I believe that like the church I was part of down the street for so many years, you, our neighboring brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, have been placed on the south side of Elmhurst, Illinois, because God wants you to gather a people here Sunday by Sunday, day by day, week by week, year by year, to be part of a strong, faithful, vital community of faith that reaches out its arms and says, here is a place where the weak can find strength. Where if you're broken, you can be healed. Where if you're guilty, you will meet grace. Where if you're despairing, you will find hope. Here is a place where God gathers his people. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.